Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. <laughs> okay. This is part two of our Q&A episode. Um, you guys asked a lot of questions, so we had to break it into two two episodes. Um, so we're back to answer more questions. More questions. More questions. <laughs> so, okay. So let's start with one that is, um, I don't know, probably relatively straightforward. Um, so one question that has come to us is how do I find a new church, a new church? I trusted the chapel and now I don't feel like I can trust any church. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel that way. Um, we understand that for sure. Um, so I guess I'll comment. Yeah. Um, so I, so I know that no matter what we say here, there are going to be people who significantly disagree with our comments and just know that I accept that to be so. Um, and this is not an, this is not a perfect commentary because it's honestly unfolding for me as well. And if you were to ask me this six months from now or a year from now, I'll probably have a different answer. I guess here's what I will say today. And this is really probably me answering this because obviously Kate is not looking for a new church. Hmm. Um, so I guess what I would say is I don't think it's about trust, frankly. I don't think it's about trusting a church. I think it is about identifying what are the policies and procedures that are in place in a church and, and having confidence in the fact that those policies and procedures are to industry standards, if you would say, right, they are like appropriate, that they are providing for the safety for the people in the building. Um, I think that it is watching to see how those policies and procedures are actually followed. I think that it is, again, if it's about, are your children safe? Do your children have power and voice? Have you listened to those episodes? Have you put those things in place? Have you had the conversations with your kids? So, you know, if you're if you are a person who wants to have your kids in a church building, then I think that's how. It's not that you are trusting that the leaders are going to be infallible because this is not just about our podcast. Look around you. Many, many people are asking this question because we're looking at things like Hillsong and Ravi Zacharias and the chapel and all of these things and saying, okay, these are people that I thought were... Uh, above reproach. And now I see that they're not. So no, it is not about trust. It's about looking and having confidence in um, how things are being handled. Yeah. And I feel like just to like add to that, I guess the um, like really, really do your homework, really do the research, ask the questions. Don't just kind of wait for them to tell you um, and just kind of skim things and be like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, I think so many people are just um, followers is the wrong word, but I, you know, just kind of like 
yeah, they did. They did trust the chapel that they would do it all right. And um, their policies and procedures are garbage. Am I allowed to say that? Should I say that? I think you can say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or non-existent, right? And so really ask those questions. Um, you know, and like we talked about that even in our episode with Amber Lee and her situation in Lockport, she kept asking for the policies and procedures and they weren't get, being given to her. Um, so I think that's that's key. Um, are we hi- can we highlight this uh, this mm. new mm-hmm. communication from the chapel? So while we're on the topic of the chapel, um, they actually sent out a uh, a letter. It's like a July update from the chapel. Um, and there's just there's a lot of things in it. Uh, you know, if anyone is a member of the chapel and has gotten this, um, this is kind of what I'm referencing when I say like really actually read what they are saying, what they're coming out with, because you can put a lot of good words on a piece of paper and a lot of people will skim it and be like, oh, good, they're they're making progress. They're doing something. But if you don't actually take the time to read it, um, you might miss that. It's a lot of words that don't say anything. <laughs> um, so basically from the chapel, what they're they're, I think, trying to say is that they've put together a team of people. Um, they say the team includes seven people and is a mixture of women and men. Um, so we don't in that statement, we don't get any identifying information as to are they church members? Are they chapel members? Is it an outside source? Is it board members? Is it staff members? Is it basically John Camardo and John Cook? Right? Like, is that the whole team? <laughs> I'm curious. Do they have what kind of special what kind of credentials? credentials? Right, exactly. So they it's seven people made up of men and women. That's not really good enough, in my opinion. Um, they are endeavoring to implement some of the same protocols that they've already been using and then also develop something for, um, adult survivors who come forward. But again, they don't give any specifics on what that might look like. They don't talk about, you know, why they feel like that's needed. Again, there's a lack of recognizing doing it wrong already. Mm Um, the timeline is very, vague it's like you know we're we are we hope to have a clear path forward um maybe by the end of summer uh and then i also think it's interesting they say um that their desire is to then share with other churches what they learn as if they are the leader um in doing this and i again in terms of finding another church i want to encourage people that there are churches out there who are way ahead of the chapel in this, are already, have already been doing this, have already been putting together policies and procedures, have them being executed current day in their building. Um, New story, you know, Pastor Scott Lackey and his wife Kim is one of those churches. They are on top of it and doing all the right things. So thanks to the chapel for sharing that information, but um, everybody else is good. And yeah, I think that it's important for us to comment on. I know that Cornerstone Church on Grand Island has had a lot of stress as a result of the podcast because of its history as Whitehaven. Um, But Cornerstone has, I would say, the highest levels of security in their building Mm -hmm. and the most accountability of any of the churches I have seen in this area. Um, 
Yep. They've got the policies and procedures and by the way, are implementing them with what seems to be consistency and responsibility here. Absolutely. So um, it exists out there. It does. Bob and Lori Tice, their church in the city. Um, I can't at the moment, unfortunately, think of what it's called. But anyway, <laughs> um, they are, are very much front and center in having trauma informed approaches and healthy things in their church. So there are several churches in our area that are in fact doing it very, very well. Right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so again, you know, no matter what church it is, whether it's one of the ones that we just mentioned that are doing it well, um, or a different church, I would just really encourage people, I guess, to really, really do their homework. If there are proper policies and procedures in place, they should be readily available to give them to you. And you should be able to see them implemented. Yes. Yes, exactly. And there should be be checks and balances, as we've said. Right. So hopefully that answers that question. Um, Okay. So next question, I guess kind of along the same lines, Mm -hmm. considering we're, you know, addressing the church issue. Um, was what do I do about relationships I have with people who were most likely involved and or complicit? I'm going to let you answer this one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. Well, I think the first thing, honestly, is to directly address the concern, right? So you can address the person. Hey, you know, I've heard this thing. I'm worried about it. Um, what do you have to say? And now understand, right? Remember the Darvo episode, right? You know what the response is likely to be. Okay. Um, so what is the acronym DARVO stands Deny, for? Deny, attack this, the victim, um, and then reverse the roles of victim and offender. Right. So that is what you're likely to hear, right, is a DARVO response. But have the conversation because it is important for us to make sure that the people who are involved in this are put on notice that people are paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hard thing to do, right? So it's tempting to shy away from that, but you know, it is a very important thing to do that. It's not easy, but I think sometimes too, like when you know what Darvo is and then you watch it play out, it becomes like even more uh, obvious, no. mm-hmm. right? Like it's like you really have just like it, like made yourself look guilty because you're denying it so vehemently, and you then you know play the victim and attack the survivor. I mean, like when you watch that play out and you and you understand what it looks like, it's kind of like, oh wow. No, and, there's no question in my mind. And we have heard that from people that mm-hmm. like when they have gone to, so one particular person I'm thinking of went to one of the people accused and kind of said, so, hey, have you heard about this podcast? And when that person came back and said, why are you listening to that? That is like undermining the church and it's a bad thing and nobody should even be listening to it. The the person was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Okay. Now I see it even more clearly that you are right. There's validation for that. No, absolutely. So I, you know, honestly, there's no easy answer because the truth of the matter is this is not a, the, in, in reality, it's very difficult to talk to someone and be, have clarity to be perfectly honest, because they're not going to confess. They are probably not even going to seem guilty because if you listen to the deception episode, there's a reason they don't seem guilty right? They're very good at this. Right. Um, so you're not necessarily going to get clarity. So don't have the conversation because you're hoping to clear things up. That'd be great, but I would not hold your breath for that. Right. But have the conversation because it's important for people to be put on notice. Right. Um, we might want to cut this, which by the way, did I tell you <laughs> that my friend Eric, he's so great. He uh, said that um, we should really be selling or having 
scissors that say we might want to cut this. Because <laughs> we say that all the time. Yeah, apparently we do. <laughs> uh, and like he's someone who like would absolutely pick up on that and make a joke about it. So um, anyways, we might want to cut this. But um, I think that – and now I've even lost my train of thought. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. Right? Okay. All right. Well, we were talking about don't wait like if you're – Hoping it's going to clarify things, blah, blah, blah. No? Yeah. It's all gone. I got it. No, all I'm right. done. All right. Maybe it'll come back. Okay. okay. Um. Okay. One of the questions was, why can't you file charges against your abusers? So I don't think we ever said that we can't. Um, we've, you know, really, uh, I mean, in our last episode, we talked about kind of the connections that my abusers have to law enforcement and um, really how that's been playing out just in the last couple of weeks. Um, and also just the complication of law enforcement. And like, I actually was thinking when I listened back to that episode that the one thing that we didn't mention was that it's, it's also not up to law enforcement. It's, um, you know, law enforcement can only go so far and then it really gets kicked up to you know, assistant district attorneys, district attorneys, the court. Um, and so, uh, you know, a law enforcement, a really, really good law enforcement agent can do like a ton of work and a ton of legwork and do all the investigating and then ultimately take it to the DA. And the DA says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Um, and I think a lot of times it's, you know, it's because these cases are tricky because a lot of times it's he said, she said, or um, they have to be in the court of law. It has to be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right. Right. That's the standard for a criminal proceeding. And that is intentional to keep our jurisprudence system a, a safe place. Right. It right. doesn't make it safe for victims, however. Sure doesn't. Right. And that is the, the harsh reality. So um, there are also issues with statute of limitations. Right. right. So you only have a certain number of years to report and prosecute abuses that happened in childhood. And there have been recently windows opened in New York state and federally for looking back um, and addressing some of those things. But um, still, those cases are incredibly difficult, difficult to prosecute. It is very hard to prosecute an abuse case that has happened very recently. Mm -hmm. But then to try to prosecute something that happened 20 or 30 years ago, I mean, while they did open a window that allowed for the possibility there, it is very difficult to do. There has also been recent uh, legislation passed that would open a window for victims of adult sexual assault to also do a look back. Um, so while uh, the, I don't, and I'm not a lawyer, there is a statute of limitations for, <laughs> like I'm sounding I know. like I am, right? I like, feel like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, like we have to know all the things, but we don't know all the things. Um, there is some statute of limitations for adult sexual assault allegations to be prosecuted. Um, and, but they are opening that window. So that is. So certainly... if your brain is spinning right now, as you're listening to Lori, mm-hmm. try to explain this, like imagine how we feel when other people explain it to us and we're like, wait, what? Right. Um, and then people asking us and we're yeah. like, well, we're not lawyers, but we'll tell right. you the best of our right. understanding of it. Right. And then there's the whole thing too, of in terms of law enforcement, you know, uh, the County in which I live in versus the County in which these things took place. And we got Erie County versus Niagara County versus, Ugh. you know, Virginia, we're to crossing state lines, the FBI. Like, I mean, there's so, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot. There's a lot that we can't say. There's a lot that we won't go into with that um, as it kind of unfolds, I guess. And yeah, so we, but we never said that we can't file charges. We just, you know, I don't know. It's messy. It's complicated. It's messy. We keep saying it's complicated. I know. Should we just call these episodes like it's complicated? Right. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I, we can't answer your questions, but it's complicated. It is complicated. <laughs> and honestly, I think people who are really listening, Understand that it's complicated because you feel complicated listening to this. You have all kinds of like, I don't know, if lots of big feelings and lots, a million thoughts that fly through your brain and all of that stuff. So obviously if that's true for you, it is certainly true for us. Yeah. Okay. I want to just pause for a second. Not actually pause, but like pause. Um, any background noise that you hear of children screaming, uh, it's summertime. And so my kids get to get to join us for our recording sessions. <laughs> They're in the other room. They're on the other but, side of the door, but you know. You know. <laughs> so uh, apologies in advance. <laughs> those are happy sounds for those of us who are out the other side of having children at home. So just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. On the way here, it was like, you literally, unless you're bleeding or throwing up, you don't interrupt us. <laughs> you need something, you text uh-huh. me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It's fine. I know. It's fine. Yeah. It is fun, mostly. I know. <laughs> okay. So another question, I feel like, and this kind of goes together with another question, right? Can you better explain the boxes and how much are direct memories versus uncovered repressed memories? Okay. So I'll try to explain the boxes and then you can address the other one. Okay. okay. Um, so if you listen to the trauma and memory episode, you heard me talk at length about how trauma and memory works. Um, and so if we're paying attention to ourselves. I think we all understand that we all have boxes. We all have, you know, I don't know, stuff that goes with our childhood that, you know, at some point we moved on from that. And like, that's a thing in our past. And, you know, if we were to intentionally try to retrieve the memory of that, we could, right. But it's not something that is readily present for us every single day. A lot of us experience a little bit of boxes opening, like, so, Um, my siblings each live in a different state. Um, and my family will say that when I'm together with my siblings, particularly my sister, that (laughs) we have a certain way of being with each other, which represents for me a box that is opened that normally isn't opened. But when I'm, is that the Jersey Lori box? That's the Jersey Lori box. Very much the Jersey Lori (laughs) box. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So watch out. My kids would say, I talk really fast and the Jersey accent tends to come out more. And they're certainly, uh, I feel like this is like feeding into the New Jersey stereotypes. Like that's not really fair. New Jersey's like, it's the garden state people. It's not actually the refinery and petrochemical state in spite of everything. It's actually just saying so, but there is a certain attitude, uh, of the Jersey that sometimes comes out. So those are my boxes, right? So that's not a trauma box. It's just, uh, you know, I, that was a space and time in my life that, is a part of me, but it is not a part of me that is constantly present. And, but it's not like it's a repressed memory. It's just sort of separate. If you think of it that way, we all have that when there's trauma, the only way to survive a childhood trauma, when your parents are right in the thick of it is to put that box, put stuff in the box, seal that box up, put it in the back of the closet and keep going. Because otherwise, what do we think it looks like when a kid goes to school and they're being abused at home. Like they're a hot mess. And by the way, we've said, I've said it many times, 
we don't make space for kids to have trauma responses for the most part. Maybe we're getting a little better at it, but so yes, the boxes have to happen. And when you have childhood trauma, they have to close and close hard and really be sealed. And when that happens, it's not like, it's not like you're not aware that there are boxes there. Right. And so Kate, maybe you can comment on this. Like, it's not that you didn't mm -hmm. know that there were boxes in your closet. No, for sure. It's just, and you could have at any point taken a box off the shelf, pulled all the duct tape and all the locks and all the everything off the box and unpacked it. But why on God's green earth would you have wanted to do that? Yeah. Well, and it, it elicits like a, a panic response too. Like when the boxes would like leak at all in my head or a memory would, you know, hit me in a way that, um, would interrupt my everyday life, there was then like the panic response of like, nope, 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 can't do that. Like, put, you know, shut it, put it back. I can't like, and so I would seal the box again. Right. So every time sure. I did that, it would just keep <clears throat> resealing and sealing and pushing it back and pushing it back because I couldn't, there was no space to even let it leak, let alone, God forbid, open it. And okay. Let's realistically look at like your life was tidier before you allowed the boxes to open. It was. It, was it wasn't safer. Yeah. But it was tidier. Yeah. And so the all, like that was part of why <clears throat> you knew that it would result in this if you started opening boxes. Yep. And so why would you want that? But it was, it's so, yeah, it's such a big, uh, for me personally, it's such a big pile of boxes that I knew that opening them would just create this unbelievable mess that I definitely wasn't capable of dealing with. Um, and not to mention, you know, then I was married, then I had kids. And how does that, how is that going to look? How am I going to sit in this mess now trying to be a wife and trying to be a young mother and trying to be, you know, all the things. So. And you didn't have somebody to walk that road with you and you didn't really have any hope there would be someone. No, because so many people had not, you know, so many people had, um, come and gone or had tried and failed. Um, so yeah, I had no thought that that was even, and honestly, because, um, counseling and therapy in my world growing up was, uh, very like, we don't do that. Um, it was made so clear to me like that. I mean, the only quote professionals that I saw were people specifically picked by my abusers who had already been briefed on how crazy I was and how damaged, you know. Um, so it was just kind of this dirty feeling when I when I was like, okay, I need to do this. Like, I think it surprises me how much people are just like, oh, yeah, I, I went to therapy for that because I, I wanted to make my life better and easier, you know, whatever. It's like, really? Like, because that was so foreign to me. It was like, we don't do that. That's not, you know. Um, so this again was a last resort. Counseling was a last resort. Oh my Never God. Mind that, the podcast. Well, that word literally even like gives me like, makes me like, <laughs> yeah, we don't bit. even talk about this as that. We don't because it's, yeah. yeah, it just, right. Um, so I also feel like maybe what someone was asking when they asked this question is what is in the boxes? <laughs> Cause mm. we keep talking about like the boxes opening mm. and stuff. And I think, um, so maybe I guess that's the question of how much are direct memories and how much is uncovered repressed memories. So um, 
I don't, I don't, do I give percentages of that? Like, I'm not sure how to answer that question, but um, I guess what's in the boxes is all the sensory feelings, all of the visuals, all of the memories that what, you know, <laughs> do you hear my children? Oh my gosh. Great. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, the sensory stuff you were saying. Yeah. That comes with um, the aftermath of this, right? So it's, it is, it's like when Lori talked about, and I think it was the trauma and memory episode of, or maybe it was the how I know episode of things like I go to a doctor's appointment and the paper on the table. And I, I don't know how to explain it other than it's literally a physical, like visceral reaction that just washes over me, um, because something got triggered. So it's all the things that are like triggers, I guess, that are in the boxes. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. I don't feel like I have great words to explain it. So I think, again, if we kind of pay attention to like, okay, when you hold a newborn baby, right, the smell of a baby, right, Um, the smell of a Christmas tree, the first snow, uh, for me being at the ocean, it's a whole sensory experience that elicits a whole can it's all connected. That's the positive stuff. Right. But then there's negatives too, which we all have also. Okay. The sound of a dentist drill, right. Right. It elicits a whole experience, right. That's what I'm saying. And those are the things that are in the boxes. So I guess I, I, okay, maybe we're going to cut this, but yeah, right. <laughs> Here we go. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, my impression over time, cause you and I haven't really talked about this is that, um, I don't know that I would say that there were so much repressed memories that were retrieved, um, as there were things that you just kind of knew that were, I don't, I think of it more like in your peripheral vision. Like, oh, um, yeah, you kind of knew it was there. There was maybe the one piece that was like way buried deep. But for the most part, it was like you had a panic response because you knew that it was there and you just did not yeah. want to open that box. Yeah. So it's not like you were like, not oh, my gosh, memories. I didn't know that like, was there. Yeah, no, it's not like I really didn't know all of this. And now I do. It's right. definitely, definitely not like that. It's like I've known it and I just have been putting it in the box, putting it in the box, putting it in the box because they, there was no way to deal with it. Um, so yeah, I don't uncovered repressed memories. Not, that's not really, um, again though, there are memories that are, that we've processed, I guess that, you know, are like pulled forward, I guess. Um, again, not that I didn't know they were there, but, um, I don't know. I'm, it's I don't... the puzzle piece under the couch. Yeah, yeah. You knew the piece was under there. You just hadn't gone in to pull it out. And then when you pull it out and you actually look at it, now you are like fully present with that memory. Right. It's not that I, I don't think that there has been anything we've really talked about that you've been like, oh my gosh, I didn't Mm-mm. know that that happened. No, not at all. How did I not know that happened? No, you, you remember, you knew it. Yeah. You just weren't. But I guess my point is that there's so many puzzle pieces to my story. There's so many memories. I mean, this is like literally was, you know, a weekly, sometimes daily occurrence. And so, um, yeah, have there been like pieces that have come forward that I'm describing to you that are like what I have, you know, I haven't thought about that in a long time because it was just one of a bazillion. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, It's not like a trauma when it's like a one time event 
Yeah. And now you're pulling. It's a, it's a totally different. Right. When it's chronic and we understand that, you know, none of us remember every minute of our childhoods, right? We remember certain things of our childhood. And in some ways it seems random. Why would I remember that thing and not another thing? Right. So when it's something that is like an everyday reality, you're not going to remember every single event. Right. So. But yeah, the boxes more so come back to the the sensory, um, like actually interrupting my life, like actually like walking through Wegmans and then having to leave because I'm unable to function in the mm-hmm. moment because it it just is like overwhelming. It overwhelms me completely. Right. Um, but that's why we got boxes. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So that it's possible to function. Oh, my gosh. My nine-year-old is texting me. Can you ask Miss Lori about the Wi-Fi, please? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can do that. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's a very uh, a hard question to answer, I guess. Um, it's a hard thing to explain. Um, even in our experience with doing the podcast, um, people who have trauma completely understand this. They just, you know, people have come to us and been like, Listen, I get it with the boxes. I got my own boxes. You and know? thank you for putting it into words the way that you have. Yeah. Because it's how I have always felt. And I just didn't know. First off, I didn't know it wasn't just me. And I didn't know how to articulate it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's hard to articulate. It's very hard to articulate. But people who don't have trauma and don't maybe, like I said, we all have boxes. But um, people who haven't had to do that actively um, with trauma Really, it is a hard thing to try to unpack for you, and it's hard to explain. Um, It's like if you know, you know. (laughs) And so the way I think of it is, honestly, if I tried to go talk to a physicist and have a physicist explain, I don't know, things to me. What What do they explain? I know. I don't don't know. Mysteries of the universe? Is Is it grade steel, grade five steel? It is. Can they explain that? Remember somebody told us that's an actual (laughs) thing. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Ryan. That was a thing. Yes. Okay. Anyway, if I went to a physicist, and that's really embarrassing. I feel very ignorant. Like, I think physicists study the universe. Right. That's a word that goes with it, right? Okay. We have to stop talking right now. Okay. Yes. Okay. Maybe we need to pick a different profession. If I was like a surgeon, if I was going to go to a surgeon and ask a surgeon to explain to me, all of the nuances. Honestly, my daughter is a nurse. My son is a PT. When they try to talk to me about how the hepatic system works or how I'm, I'm like, I try really hard to follow because mm-hmm. I don't know, I think I'm a fairly smart person, but I glaze over pretty quickly. Okay. But yeah. when it's mental health things, I think people think they're supposed to just intuitively understand because we all have feelings and we all blah, blah, blah. Well, we all have a liver, but I don't understand how it works. <laughs> right. Thank you. That's actually a great way to put it. Yeah. And also like, oh my gosh, your daughter's a nurse. I know. Like officially. I know. Very exciting. exciting. I know. Things Sorry. Are they like along. hit me like, oh my God. I know. I know. That's because you've been listening to me for all these Well, and because about, she was ugh. like a baby in college when I first met you. So not actually a baby. Like just, no. yeah. Not beginning like of college. Was a baby. No, I was actually a baby. Like 18 months old. I know. So cute. <sighs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So, all right. Since we're a little bit talking about me, how about we address this question? Mm. Question has come to me several times, sometimes by people saying, hey, you might want to address this because people are talking about this. And some from people who are like, how do you possibly justify this? Mm. Question has come about how do I uh, justify the ethics behind my choice to be involved in the podcast? Um, Which 
I guess I'm a little bit confused by, frankly, because obviously it would be grossly inappropriate, like lose my license inappropriate for me to be doing a podcast about Kate's life without Kate. <laughs> um, but I am here helping Kate share her life experience and be empowered to use her voice in meaningful ways. As far as I'm concerned, that is completely consistent with my code of ethics. Um, and this is, I mean, social work honestly is um, very much about advocacy and community well-being and empowering people. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, this is about as close to pure social work as I could possibly get. Um, it'd be different if I was telling Kate's story without her experience, without her permission and her willingness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange question because, um, yeah, like we, I, yeah, it's a strange question. I think, I mean, how could it be inappropriate for me to be helping you be safer? Right. And that's literally, I mean, we've, we've exhausted so many options and like, so here we are, you know, but, and also, like you said, that like social work is about advocacy and we're also, making the world aware of a situation and of a, a problem in our backyards that people need to be made aware of. So where's the, where's the ethical issue in that? I think it's honestly, some people just don't understand perhaps. And, but I think there are a lot of people who are bringing that up because they're trying to discredit me. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. Good, is it, good you know what, is it because like, we're so awesome? Is that why? Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> just shoot me. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a good answer to a an interesting question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, another question that has come to us is about you know we had brought up the safety concern um, about your grandmother being desperately ill and the bad things that happened to you when your grandfather died. Mm -hmm. um, so do you want to address? That? Yeah, hundred um, percent. So the information about her being like literally on her deathbed came to us. And, you know, of course, we were very concerned. I was for a couple weeks like, I, I need to know. I need to know what's going on. Um, and, uh, yeah, just trying to figure out, okay, when is there going to be a funeral? Um, I'm going to need to get, like, out of town <laughs> when that happens um, in terms of the safety. Um, and then uh, come to find out that she wasn't dying at all. Um that she like she's literally uh was like in a, a physical therapy program like doing great so can you explain that because you know that if somebody is doing pt and they're headed to rehab what does that mean um so somebody who's end of life care um would not the insurance company would not pay for physical therapy because there would be no point you have to justify so when you go to a nursing home or a rehab facility you have to justify to the nursing or to the insurance company why they should pay for physical therapy because it's very expensive um so somebody who's like on hospice or on some type of comfort care um or end of life you know palliative care um, the insurance company would not pay for physical therapy because their prognosis would be six months or less. That's how that works. Um, so for someone to be on a physical therapy program or to be admitted to a facility under like the subacute rehab um, would mean that their prognosis is not end of life. Because <laughs> um, again, the insurance company is not going to pay for physical therapy of someone who's dying. 
Um, right. It's one or the other. Yeah. It's not both. Right. Exactly. I just I just had a situation like this at work um, where you, you can't be double dipping. You can't have the insurance paying hospice and also paying for your stay, you know, at a rehab situation. So, um, which I think seems pretty clear. Like if we're doing PTOT speech, it's to improve the quality of life and to improve independence and mobility and yeah. right. All of that. Yeah. But if we are at end of life, palliative comfort care, why we were not right. trying to build. Well, that. an end of life comfort care is, is literally no labs, no weights, um, if they're on dialysis, like we pull everything, right? So it's, we literally, it's DNR, you know, do not intubate, do not even send to the hospital. I mean, that's what comfort care looks like. Um, so again, PT is not going in there to do anything if that's where you're at. Um, so come to find out that she, uh, was doing fine, was on a, or was, um, admitted for physical therapy and, um, not that she wasn't ill. No, yeah, she definitely had an episode. Um, but was she ever on her deathbed? Doesn't seem like it. Um, so the interesting fact about that then is when I found out from the person who gave us the information who the information originated from, it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> um, there was a lot of manipulation going on. Um, so it was – I think we can say this. It was yeah. my brother who who had reached out and said, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, and thankfully, like I was really thankful to him that he did that because he, you know, took the safety piece of it seriously and messaged Lori and said, hey, I just want to let you know that this is what's going on. I know that there have been, you know, concerns and you guys have talked about um, the funeral for my grandfather. And so I just I want to keep you in the loop on this, um, which, again, I was really thankful for. But um the person who is giving him the information, I 100% see now as that person, that family member manipulating him to kind of come back into the fold. And, you know, um, there was an emphasis placed on, you know, she's 94. Um, this is the end. They don't expect her. A lot of dramatics, right? Um, and then I find out that, that that's not the case. She ended up moving to an assisted living facility um, again, you don't get into an assisted living facility if you're on hospice. That's, you know, you have to have a pretty high level of independence to be able to be in an assisted living facility. So, um, so yeah, so that's, I guess the, the follow-up to that is that she's not dying. Um, so your safety in the immediate moment regarding a funeral is, is not right. Really it's not imminent. Right. Um, but also just looking at it as like, that's what they do. They just, they manipulate, manipulate, they use whatever they can to manipulate. So, um, so I feel like this opens up also, you know, follow up to last episode, we talked a little bit about your brother and that whole thing. And you know, like in follow up to that, I think just commenting on some of it's complicated because John had a very different kind of childhood than you did. Yeah. And he has stated that, but he kind of now looks at it like, wow, he had a lot of independence. He was not home a lot. He was engaged and involved in a lot of things outside of our house. Um, and was that more, was that intentional? Probably, right? That he wasn't really around. Um, but yeah, he had a very different different childhood than I did. Um, I, I, there again, someone who grew up in an abusive family and they were the only sibling who the abuse happened to 
it's like they totally understand this. But to explain it to somebody who that hasn't happened to, I don't know. Right. People, I know that it can feel like, in, I, I think I've said it before, people have said to me, so is this normal in a family? And I have to say, well, it's normal in abusive families, mm-hmm. right? It's not normal in healthy families. So in healthy families, it doesn't make any sense that kids would be that disconnected and unaware of one another, that if there was some traumatic thing that happened to a sibling in a healthy family, you would know. But in a, in a very toxic family, that would not necessarily be evident. And that reality of the fact that um, John and Kate had very different childhoods does make it um, hard for him to, he doesn't have the same memories she has. He's right. got some boxes. Yeah, he has some boxes. Yep, for sure. But he doesn't necessarily, um, you wouldn't have known all the things. There was also a thing in uh, my family that my brother, I believe, can attest to. Um, Boys were placed on a pedestal and girls, this is, this was the story for um, other girls in my family. Um, So he was obviously a son, a boy. He was also the firstborn grandchild, firstborn boy. And that's like a big, um, again, it's that weird, twisted, ritualistic type of, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Um, he was placed, I'm doing hand motions like people can see me. (laughs) He was placed up here, like on a pedestal and, you know, whatever. And I obviously, um, had a really different life than he did. Um, but I think the disconnect comes in, like I said, with, um, first of all, he's three and a half years older than me. Mm -hmm. Um, so when a lot of the thick of this was happening, he was already like in late middle school, high school. Um, And, and then of course, even when I was in high school and then in college, he was out of college getting married, you know? So, um, we were, uh, and he was engaged in a lot of different things outside of our home intentionally. Um, I guess I'm just thinking about the fact that he was in the same school as you when the middle school escape attempt happened Mm -hmm. and other people have come to us to say, Oh yeah, no, I totally knew that that whole thing was going on. Um, but that, I don't know if he was unaware or if that was a box that was in the back of his closet, but that wasn't something that he had ready access to. Well, I think a lot of that too is, is my parents protecting him from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has stated that he, um, remembers, you know, the explanation for that being, Oh, Kate's just having problems. Um, which is wild. Like again, in a healthy family, there would be more communication about what's actually going on. Um, but they really, really like shielded him from all of that. They, they intentionally placed him in a bubble and put him to the side so that he didn't know. I feel like that's a great example though, of why he doesn't have the same narrative necessarily that you have because, um, something as huge as that, that had fallout that other people were aware of he was really only peripherally aware at yeah. best. Yeah. So. Well, and he's also been fed the narrative since for his whole childhood, right? So you have to remember that the narrative that they have fed to people outside of our family of, well, Kate's just dramatic. Kate has problems. Kate has mental health, you know, whatever. He also has been fed that narrative for decades. So him trying to undo that and the narrative coming directly from his caretakers, his parents, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sure he's just going to take know, their word for it. Absolutely. So, right. um, again, going back to his actions as an adult um, within the last couple of years, that's a whole different, you know, 
story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as us as kids, uh, yeah, he had a whole different. We it was like we lived separate and together, you know, mm-hmm. at the same time. Right. So you had connection. But yeah. Yet not he. Yeah. It's yeah. complicated. It's complicated. We need something that's complicated. We Good do. Lord. <laughs> so here's one thing that's not complicated. And this is our last thing that has come to us, which it's so absurd. This is why it's laughed and last and laughable. Um, it came to us that there's a rumor that Kate was at a barbecue with her parents sometime in the past month or so. Nope. Ridiculous. Absolutely I have not, not had contact with my parents in years, actual years um, yeah. at all. So, right. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely wasn't. Uh, You've not been physically I don't in even, the same room. No, yeah, since November of twenty nineteen. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even um, like go when I go to the island to go other places. I don't even get off at the same exit that I used to. Um, like, even if it's the most convenient exit to get off. <laughs> So, to avoid going past the shop. To avoid going past the shop, to avoid going past their neighborhood. Like, I don't even, I don't, I do not entertain the north end of the island at all. So. Is the north end of the island entertaining? No, it's not. It's, no. I'm not saying my, my things are like middle, to, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay. You're so dumb. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's a perfect place for us to end. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, that's our Q and A episodes. Um, we hope it helps. You know, obviously, um, if you have questions, you can email us, message us. Um, try to think before you ask questions. Um, you know, we talked about that at least, especially in person. There's been a couple times where I've had people ask me something like in person that really catches me off guard. And that opens boxes. Yeah. It opens boxes. And I'm a lot of times I'm in a, like, you know, at work or something or, you know, at a function where it's like, I'm trying to, you know, did I tell you that, um, after we made that comment, the comment was actually about someone at my workplace who no longer works there. Um, and after we made that comment on the podcast, uh, Patrick's aunt was like, she was like, you guys are talking about me, weren't you? Anyways, I'm going to ask this anyway. <laughs> so, no, we weren't talking about her, but um, but also just think, think. Be mindful. Yeah, be mindful, I guess. So, But if you've got questions, we will. We want to answer that. Right. Yeah. We don't want to have stuff hanging out there. That Yes. Or if you uh, hear, like you said, yeah. this rumor about the barbecue, that's just ridiculous. If you hear stuff like that, you can feel free to let us know and we can very easily and quickly just put that to rest. So. So like us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, our website is amazing. Um, our Instagram, actually, I created a link tree. So if you click the link in our – I know. Look at me, right? Wow. If you click the link in our bio, it takes you to all of the things, to our podcast, to our GoFundMe, to our um, I Stand With Survivor uh, t-shirts. Um, Someone put a decal on their window. I know. Right? I love so it. Cool. I love it. I love all the things that people are doing. It's 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 mind-blowing, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least, but it's very cool. Um, so it's a very worthy cause. Yeah. So yeah, stay all tuned. Right. <laughs> if you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, 